Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Cedars Arts and Entertainment Podcast. That is our tentative title, right, Sam? Yeah, we've uh, we started doing surveys. I think we're yeah. starting to survey people. We've got out. focus groups. Yeah. We've got uh, polls going out. We're pouring a lot of our budget into figuring out the perfect title. Yeah, we are committed to finding the perfect title that encapsulates the full meaning of this podcast. What was the name that we were talking about earlier? It was something with the gabbing, G- gabbing, ga- gabbing on, gabbing on. Maybe that's what something it was. like that. I said a funny word for talking, yeah, and it was that. Uh, anyway, anyway, yeah. This is an intro to this episode. Yes. But what is this episode about, Sam? This is the second episode in our series of Cedarville Creatives. And what is this series? cover what is it about it's about finding groups on campus that utilize their creativity for christ and to further the christian message but also just to share their hearts in their creative ways today on this episode of cedarville creatives we will be interviewing two members actually no it's the captain and the professor who oversees the speech team here at cedarville isn't that right sam it is quite right we are being joined by professor eric mishney the speech coach, and Alex Besh, the team captain. So without further ado, let's take it away. Thank you, Professor Mishni and Alex, for joining us. Sure, you're very welcome. Oh, yeah, yeah. Professor Mishni, I'd like to start with you. Okay. Um, t- first of all, tell us about the speech program here at Cedarville and how you became involved with it. I guess I could even include how you ended up at Cedarville in the first place. Sure. You can take that question however you, <laughs> okay. you want to do uh, it. I can go back 20 years on that one. Okay. Uh, so I started doing high school speech and debate uh, competitively, hesitantly. I was dragged into it. You know, you can often think about uh, those moments in life that change everything, and, and some people have a hard time pinpointing exactly the moment their life changed Mm. because it's often uh, more often than not a collection of circumstances and choices. But for me, I remember standing in my kitchen with my mom and one of my friend's moms who was the coach of the speech and debate team. I was homeschooled. So we had this speech and debate club and they were trying to talk me into taking the speech class, the intro to speech class. Mm. And I'm like, no, no way. I'm not doing debate. Like, I'm not doing speech and debate. I'll stick to my, I'll stick to playing volleyball and doing theater, but no debate. And they talked me into it. And, and that moment when I said, okay, I'll take the first class, the rest of my life is different from that moment on because I took yeah. the class and I was hooked. It brought in my theater performance side. It brought in my, uh, just my, my performance aspects as well as taught me how to research, taught me how to, articulate my own thoughts and I was just I was so excited uh, and I never looked back so I did speech and debate for three years in high school then I went straight into doing that here at Cedarville and and honestly that's why I came to Cedarville was to be on their speech team Uh, Matt Moore was the coach then and when I came for a campus visit he was just fantastic loved him and so that's why I came to Cedarville was to do speech and it was sort of in that time that I wanted to be a speech coach for high school, mm. but I didn't know, I, and it was in public school, like, let me, let me teach speech in the public school. And I didn't really realize how 
public schools worked because I was homeschooled, right? I have no idea how that stuff works. So I changed majors three times trying to figure out how to do what it was that I wanted to do and ended up graduating with a theater degree. Mm. Uh, went, traveled for a while. I came back to Ohio and one of the faculty members here called me and said, do you want to teach, do you want to be an adjunct for Fundamentals of Speech, mm. uh, the, the basic speech class here? I'm like, yes, please. Uh, and actually, uh, Matt Moore, my old coach, had recommended me for that position. And uh, day one of teaching, I was hooked. I'm like, this, teaching college is where it's at for me. And so from then on, it's been, you know, there was a couple years where I'm like, okay, am I going to go professional theater or am I going to try to be a professor? And I ended up going the professor route. And a handful of years later, coaching speech at Ohio University as a graduate student, led me, you know, really honed my coaching skills. And here I am again, back here, teaching speech and coaching the speech team. And it's kind of the dream job. It is the dream job. Mm. You said you, uh, in undergrad at least, mm -hmm. your degree was in theater. Yeah. How do you feel like that education, or I guess maybe the better question would be, do you feel like that education has given you a unique perspective when it comes to coaching speech because you come from that more performance-oriented, theatrical perspective? Growing up, I was definitely the, the, tr the, t the typical theater guy, very big, very mm. over-the-top with everything, uh, always trying to get the laugh and be the funny guy. And it was my experience in speech that is a different kind of performance. It is not the big over-the-top melodrama that you see in, in Shakespeare or you know even comedies. It's much more subtle and much more subdued and controlled. Mm. And on stage in, in theater productions with my speech background, I found to be a really good blend uh, and cre I created my own, you know, not my own performance style. Other people have, other people have it too. But it's a, it's it's not just one or the other. I could bring the two together. It's your unique fusion. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Fusion, great word. Um, so it, it is a, my performance style is a fusion between stage performance and forensics performance. I like forensics performance style. The more subtle, better. So mm -hmm. even uh, I was on stage. Um, I, I did a, a community theater production a couple years ago and the director kept wanting me to do more and be bigger and I didn't want to because that's not my performance style and I I like the the subtle nuanced performances way more than I like the big melodramatic performances hmm. um, but they complemented each other super well and now as a coach I employ a lot of my acting and directing skills when I'm working with students trying to interpret literature and find the meaning in the literature, I give a lot of directing notes the way I would if I was directing a play to students who are performing literature for speech competition. I think part of the reason I asked this question is because I was involved in speech and debate in my high school experience, but mostly debate for most of my I think five years doing it, mainly team policy. And it wasn't until really, I think the last two or three years that I started trying out things like duo interpretations. Mm -hmm. I early on viewed it very analytically and because of my experience in debate and that 
flowed a lot into my first attempts at giving speeches like my uh, persuasive or biographical narrative or different ones I gave. There's an element where there's always some performance aspect. And that doesn't mean it has to be big or dramatic. They can be very subtle. But there's a, I don't know, there's an element of a performance you're putting on. And in the best sense of that word. Yeah, and it's, I feel like it's still something that I don't necessarily fully grasp as someone who, for most of his life, kind of focused more on the analytical, like, here's all this information, compiling it, mm-hmm. putting it in front of people. You know, even when I coach the public address, which are the more traditional speeches, like informative speeches or persuasive speeches, uh, or even the one Alex does, the rhetorical criticism, which is an incredibly nerdy academic event, no offense, Alex. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> uh, there is a performance element to that, but there's also a, a let's think analytically and, and logically through this, and those two have to come together. You can't just give a presentation that is a list of things you want us to know. You can't take an informative speech and say, all right, here are all of the things I want my audience to know mm. and throw them out there. You've got to create a flow. You've got to create a narrative, right? My storytelling abilities come in, even a speech uh, that is academic, Mm. if you will. One of our students this year is doing a speech on memory. Uh, We've worked together to create this collection of stories that illustrate the concept of memory that she's talking about. And so her informative speech about memory is probably 60% narrative stories but um, thrown in there are these nice long chunks explaining how the story illustrates the the point so it is a is that particular public address is a little unique you don't see that a a lot of times but it is working for her Uh, but it is a great blend of the storytelling the performance along with that let's think analytically and logical and and make all of these points flow together so alex um, tell us a little bit about your speech experience before coming to Cedarville and then how you're involved now. And you can also, if you want to talk about your major and kind of just your year, all that basic info. No, yeah, yeah. I, similar to Coach, actually, I, I did do theater when I was in middle school and high school. It was all Shakespeare, pretty much. I was in <laughs> nine consecutive Shakespeare plays. It honestly Whoa. takes a toll on a person. Oh like, it really goodness. does. What shows did you do? I don't think I knew that. Honestly, do you like, remember? Uh, or is I mean, it just all a blur? It, it's all a little <laughs> bit of a blur. My lead was in Taming of the Shrew. Um, and I had a few other ones. I mean, the classics, Macbeth, Hamlet, you name it. Mostly comedies, some tragedies, a bit of both. But I liked theater. I liked performing. Kind of an introvert, so like not like totally in my comfort zone. So I kind of wanted a happy medium where it's like not quite as flamboyant as Shakespeare, but something <laughs> a bit more balanced, but still allows me to use similar skills. Because I enjoyed it, truly. Um so I got connected with some families near me that did speech, and it hooked me very quickly, like freshman year of high school. I did it for four years um, in high school. I, I just I loved it. I did mostly interpretive speeches, so that's kind of acting. So it really was like a connection to my theater experience. And then, honestly, it was a big factor in me looking for a college, too, was looking for a place that had a speech team. I found one, Cedarville, and I've been competing. This is my third year. As a competitor, I'm majoring in communication, and honestly, that was completely a result of my speech experience in high school as well. So it, it's influenced me a lot, just like the love of, of, of doing it. And, and at this point in my life, I mean, 
everything I'm doing is kind of revolved around what that experience has led me to and how much I've enjoyed it or seen the impact that it can it can have. Mm. And your role on the team is team captain, correct? Yes. This year is my first year as team captain of the team. So I do some a lot of odd jobs, honestly. I run the social media. I do some recruitment for the team. I try to be there for some peer coaching. I've gotten to do a lot of that this semester, just really be there for our, our novice. We've got several our novice on the team this year. So that's kind of what that looks like a little bit. But Novice, yeah. novice is the term for people who are on their fir- in their first year yes on the team. yeah new members new members need a little bit of a little bit of student perspective sometimes so speaking of the speech team what all goes into being a part of the speech team and I, I, from your perspective Alex leading it and then from your perspective coach Mishni, kind of overseeing it what is a general year in the speech team look like give us an mm-hmm. overview if sure. you would so my my season starts in the summer when I start doing a lot of reading for literature and, and I keep my ear to the ground for topics and sometimes my nose, I go looking for topics. I don't just wait for them to come along. I listen to a lot of podcasts and I read a lot of fiction. I listen to a lot of fiction. Um, just try to collect as much material that we can use in competition once the season starts. So I do a lot over the summer on, as far as that goes. And I know some of the team members do too. They listen and read a lot too. Uh, and then we, we get back and we hit the ground running with, with auditions. And, you know, we start writing and prepping speeches right away. So everyone is expected to have three, at least by, you know, mid to late point in the semester, three speeches that are, are theirs, like their primary events. And that means you got to get going pretty quick if you're going to hit that benchmark. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, all summer, like, I, I, I try to work on speech. Don't always get, like, a ton done. But, like, you know, <laughs> I usually come into the semester with something. Since since I've been a first year, like, my second, third year, I come with something. So I usually have a speech that I'm able to kind of start putting into an actual script format, maybe start memorizing and getting a speech together while I'm kind of formulating ideas for others. I could be in an impromptu style event literally called impromptu so that's an event i can easily just get to start practicing right away um so usually i've got two events that i'm kind of working on immediately and then i'm going to start thinking about future events at that point as well um but yeah i mean our first tournament just happened it's mid-october so i gotta have a few things ready by then my goal was to have two ready and then close to three by that first tournament so we really do hit the ground running in terms of getting speeches ready. It's not like high school where you get a long time to prep. It's you, you really go at it. So mm-hmm. yeah, I mean the process coach gives me ideas. I decide if I like them, I write them and memorize them. And then he fixes my, <laughs> my delivery. And then it's I, great. You know, I never, I never tell a student what to do. I never tell in the sense of what speech they're going to do. Mm. All of the research I do, I say, I, I handpick, you know, a handful of ideas I think that will work well for that student Hmm. And say here are the here are some potential persuasive topics that I think you would resonate or that would resonate with you. Here's some here's some short fiction I think you would perform well, and then it's up to them to take it or leave it. Right? They don't have to do anything that I suggest because I want I want each speaker to take ownership of their speech. I want them to love it, and because it takes so much time to to perfect the presentation, I don't want it to be something you don't like. Or, or are going to get bored of real mm-hmm. quick, which it happens. Sometimes you get bored of something pretty quick. Um, but 
in in general, if you if you've picked a thing that you like and and done that work on the front end, it's going to pay off and you're going to stick with it. Could you for people who aren't forensic speech people, uh just give a quick overview of like what do what different categories of speeches there are to pick from? We know obviously as experts. Oh yeah. But oh, just yeah. for the listeners benefit. Of course. We've already gone to grad for the, school. The for the novices. Yeah. <laughs> You've got PhDs we in, have PhDs in coaching and everything. Speech. Oh, at least, at speech. least. If only, that if only I did. <laughs> uh, so um, there's five different oral interpretations that you can do. And, and mm. so this is probably what a lot of people don't realize is a part of the speech team. And that's essentially the acting competition pieces. So there's prose interpretation, dramatic interpretation, which are so very often the same thing. But they're not really the same thing. I, I still struggle with it sometimes. Uh, but they're they're both short stories or dramatic monologues from a play or from from a short story. Um, we can even take something like from the moth, maybe like the someone's just personal narrative that they've presented before, and take that and as a piece of literature perform it. Uh, so those are those two categories that are the most straightforward as far as you have one story or one character's perspective that you're sharing, and these are all eight to ten minutes range 10 minutes is the max technically there is no minimum time but eight is what we shoot to get above uh, then there is duo interpretation which is two people performing a, a cutting from a play most of the time uh, and then the other two are very unique um, poetry which is mm. close to what it sounds like it, i mean it's poetry a lot of spoken word a lot of slam poetry not necessarily multiple different pieces of poetry like all right together. right oh, i see yeah so that's where the second the other this last one programmed oral interpretation and poetry have some similarities is programmed oral interpretation takes typically starts with you know a piece of literature that isn't long enough to make into a prose or, or a di but it's just a great piece of literature and so you find other pieces of lit that are connected in some way, either thematically or uh, on the same, talking about the same topic, same kind of characters, perspectives that all have the same kind of experiences. Uh, and you, you weave those together. So you might have, you know, piece A, piece B, and piece C, and you'll do them, you know, A, B, C, and then you'll go A, B, C again. You'll flip-flop back and forth between them. But mm -hmm. then you'll mix them all around however you want to, to build to a progression uh, so that logical thing that I was talking about earlier, I have to do that here too as we, we because you can't just say, all right, I'm going to do piece A, piece B, and piece C be done. Weaving them together to create a new narrative is, is really, really cool. And, and we're not necessarily butchering. It feels like we're butchering a piece of literature when we're chopping it into 10 pieces and cutting out words and lines here and there, but that's all in the effort of making it flow with the other lit. I'm very, um, very passionate about maintaining the core intent of the author. Uh, there's been a handful of pieces of literature that we've wanted to do, but I said, no, we can't do that piece because the way we want to do it would really remove the author's original intention mm. from that. There have been a few that I've wanted to do, but in order to edit out some of the material, some of the topic that the author wrote in so that we can do it here at Cedarville and and not swear a whole lot. Cedar appropriate. Cedar right. To exactly. make it to make exactly. the story Cedar appropriate, 
would pretty much destroy the intent of the author. Mm. And few reasons I don't like doing that. One, I want to respect the author, even if I don't agree with them. I want to respect their work. But uh, also, if there are judges out there that know the original piece of literature and say, no, that's not what that story was about. I'm giving you last place. You know, that's something to consider, too. Mm -hmm. But anyway, that's, that's enough about that. We do the same thing with poetry and terp. Uh, it's not just one piece of poetry. It's the same kind of a program, only with poetry. Yeah, so I mean, those are, the, are interpretive speeches. The, the public address speeches or the PAs, pretty much more of what you would expect. When I tell someone I'm on the speech team, this is what they think I'm doing. Yeah. That's, your, <laughs> that's your persuasion. It's in the name. You're going to persuade someone on a topic that has significant societal value or an informative, so to inform on a topic. Very kind of basic stuff, what you might see or think that speech is. There's rhetorical criticism, which is probably one of my favorite categories, and that's more of a an academic approach to this kind of style of speech that would be analyzing a communication artifact. So applying some kind of model or theory or concept to that artifact to kind of interpret it, analyze it, examine it. Um, and, and there's lots of ways you can go about that, but it's, it's definitely a more academic route. Harder, harder to explain than informative or persuasive, but... <laughs> It's pretty fantastic. Just trust me on it. And then after dinner speaking or ADS is another category. That's kind of a humor-based speech. So you're gonna you're gonna want like a, an actual foundation. Like you're gonna want a serious topic there, like that has real implications, is an actually valuable content. But then you can communicate that with humor effectively. Um, sometimes even more effectively with humor than if you didn't use that humor. And if that if that's what you have, then then you've got a good ADS there. So those are kind of the basic public address categories and we can't forget limited prep we can't limited prep we can't <laughs> there. those are, are impromptu so that's like a a seven minute speech you can spend hopefully around a minute and a half prepping off a quotation that you will draw when you're at the tournament and then you can speak for around five five and a half minutes on on that you'll prep in round so, yeah, you so kinda... each, each speaker is is given seven minutes and a quotation they turn over the quotation, seven minutes starts, and in that seven minutes, they have to write the speech and give the speech. Uh, and that's, it's intense. It, it gives some anxiety. <laughs> I, I like it a lot. And you, you judge a lot of extent. I judge a lot of extent. Extent is a 30-minute preparation, also on a, on a topic that you presumably haven't seen before, although it's, they're almost always current events related, so you can kind of, as long as you are, aware of the world you kind of have an idea of what's going on but uh, you get a question and it's a current events related question so you know can greece recover from their recent economic whatever and then you have to answer the question you have 30 minutes to prepare an answer and it's a seven minute speech hmm. i judge a lot of that we don't have anyone competing in it so yeah. he ends up judging it a coaches lot. judge <laughs> events that they don't have students competing in yep. and since i in three years have not had anyone do extemp i have judged extemp at Every single tournament. If anyone out there is listening to this and thinks extemp sounds appealing, please do it. Find us, talk to us. Please. <laughs> that way, Eric doesn't have to. That way, I don't have to judge it. But I've judged so much of it, I'll be a really good coach. <laughs> 100%. So, we've talked a bit about what it looks like being on the speech team, the logistics of it, things like that. COVID. <laughs> How did COVID change that uh, for the speech team? What did that look like? both practice-wise, tournament-wise, just in general? How did that affect the team? And is that still affecting it in any way today, to add on to that? 
I yeah. mean, yes and yes. Yes, <laughs> I, it it affected it in every way. Honestly, it, from team dynamics to your preparation to what tournaments looked like to everything. I I think from being a, a team member's perspective, having been on the team last year when. I would say it was the year most influenced by COVID in comparison to this year or even the year previous. Um, motivation was very difficult. Like life was very stressful. Being a college student was hard. Um, and putting the effort into speech at the same time was difficult um, at that time. It was not as easy as it is this year or it was the year previous. So mm-hmm. the entire team very obviously experienced that. Um, and it was it was difficult to to stay focused on it. We had a very successful season, though. We competed at plenty of tournaments. It was all virtual, um, which has its downsides because you kind of feel less like you're there. It's hard if it doesn't feel quite as real. Mm-hmm. But I mean, the learning experience of that is invaluable, right? I mean, yeah. I won't ever get that kind of experience of learning to take something I know and love and make it completely virtual. And it's something that really, honestly, doesn't sound like it could be virtual, right? It, talking to people public that's speak, public such speaking a part of it is, yeah, is, is seeing their faces and, and, and every little emotion that can't be transmitted through a camera is gone. Um, so they're definitely hard parts of it, but I mean, it was amazing to learn how to, you, you know, communicate as, as a team when COVID was a thing, didn't want to give any, any team members COVID, didn't want to, <laughs> couldn't go to any tournaments. Um, so it was a challenging experience and it influenced us, us in a lot of ways. And, you want you want to talk about a little bit about yeah, how it's a, kind of still affecting us? Sure, some? sure. So we there are tournaments that are meeting face to face this year. None of them are super close to us. So the only tournament this semester that we're going to compete in in person is in, in just a couple of weeks. We're going to go up to the Chicago area for one. Um, but this semester has been really hard to find tournaments to go to and. and uh, so yeah, we did the one this past weekend that was virtual, and then we have another one at the end of the semester that's virtual. And we don't know what will happen in the spring. Like I don't know if our state tournaments or our national tournaments will be virtual or in person. Everyone is still saying tentatively in person. Mm. You know, so it's a scary word. <laughs> Tentative is a very what scary an word. Overused word. That's right. In these times, but it's such an appropriate word too. It means our intention is to this. Our preference would be this. Mm-hmm. But everyone knows that that tentative means, you know, don't get your heart set on it. Um, the other thing from a coaching perspective is, you know, every, I meet with every person on the team for an hour each week and work on their individual speeches. Hmm. And sometimes we just spend the, the hour talking about their speech. Sometimes we get up and practice it. Uh, sometimes I'm very interactive. Sometimes I just let them practice some, but uh, we did all of that virtually last year. All of that was was done uh, virtually, and and that was good. Not only was it you know safer last year, but it was good because that's how we were going to perform. So all of the coaching that I did with them, they could what was exactly the way it was going to look virtually too. So you know, I guess it made most sense several for several different reasons to do coaching that way. Mm-hmm. We still managed to meet in person as a team once a week. Um, it was good to have that one that one meeting yeah. once a week that we could at least see each other. Yeah, but it, it, <laughs> it was rough. It was even rough on my motivation. Mm. Uh, I ima- Alex, I imagine y'all could notice me 
having a little less motivation it's, it's as more, well. I've noticed but... how excited you've been about this year. Oh, really? You have been, <laughs> it's not that you've been a different person, but I've just seen like how much you've given to this year, and I'm like, yeah, you know, COVID really took a toll on all of us, it didn't did. it? It really did. Yeah. Yeah. But even even last year, while it was it was very difficult, there were some cool things like. The, the platforms that we used virtually to compete in tournaments were pretty excellent. Obviously, technical difficulties are a thing, and nothing we've <laughs> ever been used be. to dealing yeah. with in public speaking. Yeah. But, I mean, there's a, a platform called Yatley. Funny name. But, I mean, Yatley was great. It had the separations for rooms that you can click into and, and, and ways that you can make yourself the speaker and, and take yourself down, and you could watch everyone's speeches still if that was – your conviction and honestly (laughs) it worked really well and and this was made just for speech right so Mm. it was made possible by a lot of people that put in a lot of hard work before the season to to make last year possible Mm -hmm. so very grateful for that yeah i'm super glad that speech competition didn't just die well we can't meet and we can't have a tournament the way we normally do so we're not going to do it that was not like i don't think anybody felt that way there might have been a few teams here and there i know there were some teams here and there that didn't that made that choice but as a whole the organizations that be that, that run things nobody was like nope we're not going to do it this year it's like no let's figure out how to do it yeah it inspired a lot of creativity definitely i'd like to transition over a little bit more to what speech means for both of you and being at cedarville i'd like to focus in on the aspect of faith talk to me about how you view speech relating to your own faith um how in what ways it's impacted your own faith in what ways you see it as a beneficial activity when it comes to being a christian i think for me i mean when i first started doing speech it was more of just an instinctual thing right so i'm just if that's even a word it yeah, was my yeah, instinct yeah, yeah sure. it was my instinct to do to do speech. I mean, I, I felt like I was decent at it. I had the opportunity. It was enjoyable. Hmm. And the more I've done speech, especially as I've gotten to be at the college level, I have found that the environment in which I compete in speech is very, very secular, very worldly, very dark. And I've, I've heard some pretty awful things in other people's speeches. I, I, you know, that might scare some people, but honestly, I love being around that and don't take that the wrong way like I want to surround myself with that I mean that I love being able to speak to them and I love being able to interact with them and I do know that we stick out and I think that's the best part of it right Mm -hmm. um and just for my personal spiritual life having that influence me it it makes me want to be and it gives me confidence that I can be very successful in a secular environment after I leave Cedarville and that is honestly where I would like to work as some place that is very secular and and not like necessarily a super Christian atmosphere like Cedarville. So it gives me that kind of confidence and that kind of vision for my future um, in that way. And just in general, I've seen what speech can do in terms of your connection to others on, on a team level. I've seen, you know, coach be able to interact so well and influence the lives of us as team members so incredibly. And I've been able to make some of my greatest friends and even meet my fiance on the team and that's been you know wonderful the, the the bond is incredible so you know it's not the typical just classmates and professor and all those relationships it, it's a bit different it's closer and i love seeing how speech and the anxiety of oh i'm going to give a speech oh it has to be i have to memorize something mm. can draw people closer and make people 
pour into each other, and I want to be a part of that forever. You know, it's it's an experience that God uses to make us have great fellowship. That is exactly what we're supposed to have. There's a lot of for me. There's a lot of aspects to this question, um, or to the answer to the question, because it is such a, a dark world that we live in, and the speech community seems to ha- attract the the darkest aspects of you know concentratedly and again a concentrated mm-hmm. way they're all there so like every uh worldview you could have is presented at any given speech tournament i think there was a speech on satanism even at this last weekend that, that one of our students heard i've seen multiple speeches on satanism have like you in full support of you know against christianity full satanism yeah and yeah. and so we like alex said we get to speak to those people from our position. And we have to do it carefully, right? We, we have to balance that we are doing a competition as well as wanting to be a witness. So we, we don't often write speeches that are gospel-centric. Um, they're always, and when I say that, I mean that they're not preaching the gospel. The gospel is always at the center of what we're doing. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to mislead you in, in that way, but... Everything is always focused on on our values. Every our, we have our values embedded in every story that we tell and every speech that we do. We've had at least three speeches that are pro life, without sounding pro life. Uh, and if you know what I mean, like that, that when you boil it down, the story wouldn't exist if it didn't have that value of human life and a value of of a baby's life as a core part of that story. And I just love telling those stories and having them compete well because that you know it's showing us it's showing the people who are watching some of the things that are important to us and they're accepting them you know and and uh personally i have grown in my ability to articulate my faith to others through my experience as a speaker and even as a coach because part of my Part of what I do as a coach is I help the students figure out the best way to organize their ideas and and in doing in in walking through organization of a speech with them, I improve my own logic and structure and things too and i I apply that to conversations that i that I have and I apply that to you know conversations I have with friends who aren't Christians. I'm able to take those skills that I learned and put them to use in sharing the gospel or at least um, being a light. Mm. Uh, I, can, I, c- I could tell a handful of stories, but uh, I'll, I'll, I won't now. But I've, I've had experiences that are really like, yeah, that I, I would not have been able to share that idea with so-and-so if I hadn't had that speech experience. And I'm not, if I'm not still having that speech experience, you know, even as a coach, I'm still growing and learning in those ways. And and one of the coolest things is when you see other people notice us. I was a part of a conversation with some students from a different school a couple years ago, and they were talking about the Cedarville team, and they were kind of making fun of this. I, I, this is before I came to Cedarville as a as on faculty. They were kind of making fun of Cedarville, but then someone just said, "Yeah, but they're just so happy," <laughs> and and someone else said, "That's because they have Jesus." And and they kind of said it tongue in cheek, 
but at the same time, they still said it because they knew it. That's why we're so happy. I want everyone to say that about me. I know, yeah. right? And and it was so encouraging to me to know that that just knowing Cedarville is a Christian school makes everyone watch us and look at us different. And that means we have to be on high alert and guard ourselves from slipping into a lot of those easy things to to make jokes about or those easy stories to tell mm. and make sure that we are, you know, that Christ is at the center and, and the biblical truth is at the center of everything that we're doing. And that is a really, that practicing that as speech is a, is great practice for the, the non-speech world too. I appreciate what you said about having gospel-centered communication, if you will. Sure. Um, I think far too often we can establish a paradigm of am I evangelizing to people or am I not? And I think evangelism is very important, but I think a lot of people reduce it to a the only way to do that, the only way to have a, the only way to witness to other people is an explicit presentation of the gospel that like kind of lays it all out simply. And I think that like presentations like that are important. Absolutely. But I think we also need people who can speak well and tell stories from a Christian worldview because I think there are many people, especially like people you encounter at this tournament who would not, who essentially I think their their brain would turn off the second you started like kind of bringing out, throwing, uh, throwing out Christianese. Absolutely. Giving you, you a rote exactly right. <laughs> presentation. But if you tell them a story and you involve them emotionally and intellectually and you lead them through illustration to a point, they're much more likely to come to the end of that and be like, be like I see where you're coming from. Mm -hmm. And they might not even realize it immediately, but they're agreeing with an idea of coming from a Christian worldview. They are being shown the truth and why it makes sense, yeah. which we're I think making, is so important. We're making the Christian perspective, the, the Christ-like perspective, palatable to those that abhor it. Like, honestly, that that is what we're doing. Hmm. And I, I really think that they oftentimes agree to, to a Christian value without even realizing it when they would have <laughs> denied it beforehand, you know? Mm. Exactly what you said, emotionally invested with the story. Love that. Yeah. No, I think I appreciate that perspective because I think it's something that often can be missed in when we talk about like evangelism or witness, for sure. Yeah. So what is, from both your competition days, the favorite speech that you have done and performed and a favorite that you have seen? So I, I know that my favorite that I have seen is when I was a competitor, I saw a speech. It was a poetry piece that was about, and you know, I don't remember the exact phrase that he used, but essentially it was, it was about stepping outside the box and breaking those norms a little bit. And in this presentation, he took every both uh, unspoken rule and some of the spoken rules of of forensics of the speech competition and broke them in a way that made sense. He didn't just break them for the sake of breaking them. He broke them in a way that made sense with his message, including things like, you know, we, we um, in oral interpretation, we always hold a little black book, a little binder that, that represents the presence of the author. And we have our script in there. It's one of the spoken rules. Uh, and at one point he put it on the ground and just walked around the room. Like he walked, it was his, it was the final round at nationals. So there was, 
probably two, three hundred people in the auditorium, and he just walked up the aisle, touching everybody and patting people on the heads, standing up on chairs, all the while still going on with his his piece. And he, you know, he was back down at the front, and he broke. I, I don't even remember all of the things that he did, but at one point he flipped his book around so everybody could see the inside of it, and he had a picture of a heart, you know, just the. <laughs> You know, just the, 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 the emoji style heart. Yeah. But then he turned the page so we could all see it. And there was like a picture of a giant human heart in there. And he was doing this real kind of pumping motion with his book. So it, it was like the, the heart pumping and right in line with what he was saying at the very end of this piece. It was so uh, emotional and so charged. I, I wish I could remember exactly how he the progression of this piece. But at the end, he was like, do not applaud for me do not clap for me when i am done just take take and go and do i I don't know if it was like a go and do likewise kind of thing or not but it was just like take take these ideas and put them into practice Mm. um but that like some of his last couple lines were don't applaud for me and don't clap for me and then he closed his book and walked out of the room and one person started to clap and just stopped because dead silence like and that doesn't happen. And in a final round at a national tournament, you know you're gonna get a standing ovation with a performance like that. But not this guy. Like he because he had been so. Anyway, you, you, yeah, because he was so good and he won. Right, he 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 won nationals uh, in poetry. That was probably my favorite performance to ever watch. And I wish I could remember more details about it. I just remember seeing like, yes, that I like that. I want to do that. I want to teach people how to do that. That's great. So. Uh, it's kind of been a, in the back of my mind doing a piece of of a similar theme mm. for years now. Hopefully, well, hopefully one day. But yeah, Alex, on, honestly, in terms of speeches I've seen, I've not seen nearly as many speeches. That sounds great. By the <laughs> way, that sounds really good. It was amazing. Um, I'm finally getting gonna hopefully be able to get to go to that national tournament this year. So maybe I'll get to see something there that I like really grab me. Most of the speeches I've seen that have been really influential are ones that make me just it just makes the concepts click. Where I'm like, oh. You know, like you need to let the literature speak. You know, if you can pick literature that will make your speech great, or oh, I saw, I can see how he made the literature interesting here just by doing what he did. Like that was all him. That wasn't even the literature. So just things that make those concepts click has been good for me. In terms of like favorite speech that I've done, I, I think the one that I am probably most proud of was one that I actually only took to one tournament. I did a, a faith literature, which is kind of a program. So it's a thematic speech, lots of different pieces that we put together. And it has a, a faith-based concept. So mine was on why or how Christians do not love people from the LGBT community as much as Jesus would. So there's a lot, a lot of hatred there that shouldn't be there. That we should be expressing love as Jesus would to these people. And it was a speech that I put together in less than two weeks. I, I just kind of threw it together. Um, this was this was last year with a, with a lot of thought. Like a, it was very thoughtfully put together. It, it was very thoughtfully put together. Like I, you know, I gave I gave it way more time in those two weeks than I should have. It was just <laughs> that it was really condensed in terms of like when that time was spent, and. Honestly, I'd, I've never believed in a speech message as much as that one that I've given. And that's what made the difference for me is that I spoke on something that I, I cared about, what really mattered to me. And I, I felt like I represented, you know, that passion of mine really well because I, I was proud of, you know, how what literature I had selected and what I was showing um, to illustrate that point. 
And when you're truly motivated about a topic, you're going to think of every possible way to make this point actually come across. You know what I mean? It's not just what makes the best speech. It's what makes this point the most obvious. So that that was a fantastic speech. Yeah. And then I, you, won, you won nationals with it, didn't I did you? win nationals with that speech. I regretted so much waiting until nationals to do that speech because I would have loved to take it longer yeah. in, in some sense. But, I mean... Yeah, I was I was definitely not memorized when I I, I gave that speech. It well, came that was that, that was way. one that you recorded because last year, the handful yes. of events were yes. It, it you was submit a, a video recording, not perform it. Right. Was well, it a mix of like Zoom style and then recording? Bit of both. Yeah, a, okay. a bit of both. A, a, our national tournament had a mix. Mm. Yeah, and this this one was a recording, and I, it was a two take speech. Like I wasn't memorized, but the second take was just it. I was just like, you know what? It, it's it's it was perfect the way the way it was there, but. If you believe in the message of your speech, that that can make all the difference. And I, I don't care what else I do. <laughs> if, if I, I could be okay if that's the most passionate I feel about a message in one of my speeches. <laughs> as, as I think about sharing my favorite performance I've done, it is totally the opposite of <laughs> believing in the message of your speech. Because I think one of the most fun pieces I ever did was Muppet Treasure Island. Oh, my goodness. In college? I, I took the, yeah, in college I took the movie and did it as a duo. Uh, there was the experimental event that this particular year was called Cinematic Duo, and it, it was a duo that it just had to be from a movie script or from a, from a movie. And so my my duo partner and I, we, we watched Muppet Treasure Island a handful of times. We transcribed. Actually, I think I found a bad copy of the transcript online somewhere. But <laughs> we, we told the whole Treasure Island story. I played Long John Silver, and my, my partner played uh, Jim. Jiminy, Jim, Jim, Jim. <laughs> and then we intermixed it with a lot of the Muppet little bits, like the guys in the front of the boat. Uh, like the, the, the two old men on the front of the boat, you know? And uh, take a cruise, they said. You know, stuff like that. <laughs> and See the world, they said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, and so we did that. You know, we did the... The guys on the island, the boom, 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 the boom, shakalaka, boom, shakalaka, boom, shakalaka, yeah, yeah, boom, shakalaka, boom, shakalaka. You know, just we did, so good. We did a bunch of dumb stuff like that, just as yeah. transitions between the scenes. That's and awesome. it was so much fun. I think we got third at the state tournament. Um, I don't think we got second. Maybe we got we got. No, I think we got we got third because the the second place was Beauty and the Beast. Uh, and which was really cool. The guy took two books, and he was as Lumiere. He was, you know, doing this all this crazy stuff with his his hands. And then the winning team was they did the movie Rent, um, hmm. but hmm. in a really comical way. They they sang the songs very badly, <laughs> on purpose, and it was really funny. <laughs> it shouldn't have won, but it was still very funny. <laughs> he he, did, he uh, no grudge over that. Obviously, no. There's no, 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 no there's no, no, no there's no, no grudge. Yeah, yeah. There are other things I have grudges over. <laughs> <laughs> ben. As someone who did speech back in high school, do oh, you have no. a favorite, a oh, favorite yes. speech that you've Don't you've turn this given? on me. I'm the host. <laughs> I don't get asked the question. <laughs> I will say probably the most meaningful speech to me was my biographical narrative I did on the life of Desmond Doss. If you've heard of the movie Hacksaw Ridge yeah, at yeah, all, yeah. it's his life story. I mean, a movie version of it. Sure. But um, there's a really good book um, that I based it off of. I think it's just called, oh, what is it called? The Conscientious Objector. That's the book I used as the main source, as well as some other ones. And I think what made it so impactful to me was just the example of his life. Because I feel like he 
even if you don't necessarily agree with his specific convictions, he was basically against himself killing anyone in any form. He didn't view as personally that war was justified. So he enlisted purely as a medic, um, refused to use a gun in any way, but wanted to serve regardless. And that was all because of his, his faith, mm. um, his conviction, and wanting to be obedient to God. And I think that was the, the one speech that I got to, it was finals at nationals in. And I think I got like seventh out of eighth place. So it nice. wasn't like, I kind of barely scraped in there. Still, but, still um, finals at nationals. Finals at nationals is great. Yes. Didn't know that. I've probably seen this speech, I think, I, I honestly. Possibly. We were in the same <laughs> league. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure you were on the campus of, I think it was Northwestern University in Minnesota. Yep, I was there. Yeah. Um, and I just remember go, before going into the round, praying I was very scared because I didn't want the speech to become about me because I could feel it in my heart becoming about oh my gosh I did such a good job Mm -hmm. when really it was a speech I'd whipped up like early on in the in the semester like I think over the course of like a week and like had edited it over time but like the impact of the speech came from the story and not necessarily from how good I was at telling it but I remember praying just beforehand God, please help the story to come through more than my own, like whatever I do. Like, I don't want it to be about me. Um, Yeah, and I just, I really appreciated the opportunity I had to share that story. And it was just something that very much impacted me as a person in my own life, his example. So being able to communicate that and share that with other people and see a lot of times them respond as well and see that they cared as well and were invested was a really cool experience. So I'd say of all the speeches... Which weren't, I didn't give a huge amount of speeches. I mainly did team policy debate, but that was the one that was the highlight. Nice. Did you do, you did speech One year. did speech here for a year. Yeah. Sam and I were teammates. Yeah. Oh. I had the pleasure of being here uh, Alex's first year. Was that your first year? It was. As a speech coach? It was indeed. Room? Yeah. So I did it my freshman year. What was the duo you guys did? Not me and Sam, but it was Sam and my fiance, oh. <laughs> who I competed with all year in a duo, and then he... Also competed with her, and they won nationals. Goodness. Yeah, so, so Alex's... I watched that. Uh, Alex's now fiancé and Sam beat right. Alex and his fiancé in duo. Because in, in college, mm-hmm. you can do two duos as long as they're with different people. So Olivia was doing two duos, one with Alex and then one with Sam. And I was doing two, one with Olivia and one with Paul. Yeah. Yeah. I love that duo, though, that you and Olivia did, uh, The Decider. It was, was, it was a fun time. We had a uh, we had good chemistry, which I think actually carried us a, a long way. Your guys, yours was hilarious though. Yeah. It was original and funny and just a, a blast to watch. That's funny how that side of the table, their favorites are those like heartfelt, like the emotional. <laughs> like I really believed in this, and then us, We're like because like, uh, Cinderella is so definitely fun. my favorite. Oh yeah, it was, like, it was a oh blast. yeah. That was one of my one of the pieces. It was the most fun to coach, for sure. I can't that imagine. Duo. It was uh, so much fun. Can you describe this piece a little bit, Sam, for the listeners? It was basically politically correct. It was called, what was it called? Cinderella's well, Cinderella, Cinderella story, story as, as told, told by, by Cinderella. Cinderella. That was the <laughs> yeah. title. Yeah. And it was basically a classic. Like It was started as like a classic narrator like telling the story of Cinderella, but then Cinderella like correcting him on what actually happened because there was no fairy godmother she's the one that made it all happen like and like it was just like a very like funny it was, it was, it was kind of a, a a feminist statement like cinderella can do it on her own she mm-hmm. doesn't need magical help and she was really trying to 
weasel her way in to the the princess ship not just it had nothing to do with the prince she just wanted to be princess yeah and the so prince was kind of a turd, a turd yeah. <laughs> he was really funny it was awesome well you were really funny as the prince and as the and as everyone as else everyone literally else. Because because except for cinderella that's yeah. yes yes <laughs> that was the highlight for sure dang well I'd, I'd love to keep this conversation going on but we're reaching the end time of this episode so I'd like to wrap up by giving you guys an opportunity to first, for anyone who's interested in possibly joining the speech team, what that process would look like, whether there's any like specific criteria they need to meet major wise or anything like that. Um, so starting with that, what does that look like if someone is interested? So there are no major requirements. You don't have to be a communication or a theater major or let's see right now we have, Everyone on the team is a different major, except you and Olivia. There's two, right. communication, two communication majors. Two communication majors. Nursing. Nursing. Broadcasting, digital media, English, linguistics. How many Biblical is that? studies. Biblical studies. It, um, I think that's it. There's, there's seven it. of us. There's only one. Yeah, there's six different repeat. majors on the there's, team. It's all different, which yeah. is amazing. And we've had yeah. business and allied health and you know, all kinds. So, yeah, as far as that goes, open to anyone. Open mm. to any, any Cedarville student. The audition process is, I'm going to say simple, but it requires some preparation. So there's, I, I want everyone who auditions to show me either a persuasive or an informative speech because that's the bread and butter of the team. That's the, the core. I, I want everyone to do one of those two speeches. And then whether or not that person is going to be more dramatic leaning, they can choose to do an oral interpretation. Or if they're going to be more impromptu leaning, they can choose to do an impromptu as part of their audition. So... Um, there's two speeches for the audition. One of them is either info or persuasion, and the other is your choice of those other two categories. Um, there's a you know application. Tell me your background, your experience. But honestly, uh, I don't really care how good you did in high school or what awards you've won. I'm looking at the performance in the audition compared to the other performances in the audition. Um, I don't say that to disrespect or discredit work someone and accomplishments of someone in high school, but... Uh, high school is different than college. True. It, it, the style is very different. Um, and just the, you know, there's a lot of different things to consider. And you don't need speech experience in high school at you all. You don't need honestly. speech experience. You need to – if you look willing and you can speak and there's a lot of potential there. Potential is probably mm -hmm. the key word. You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean anyone can do it. So if there are any listeners who have gotten through this hour of podcasting, <laughs> you can tell they're invested, but they need a final pitch – Give me, both of you, your one-sentence pitch for joining the speech team. What is, like, the biggest reason for someone to join the, re uh, the speech team and what is going to be the benefit, the benefit to them? But one sentence. Speech is the place for you if you really uh, thrive on opportunities for creative and intellectual expression of your values in an environment that is outside of the Christian bubble. Speech team is the place for you if you genuinely want to be poured into so that you're a better speaker and person. But And it's fun. And it's fun. It's fun. That's, that's what I'm trying to get at. Like yeah. when I say the person I mean it it is it is the most fun thing I have done in college. One of the only fun things I have in college. <laughs> well, thank you guys so much for being on. Yes, you're thank welcome. You. Yeah. 
It's always good to talk about something that I love. Yeah. If anyone is interested in joining the speech team, you now know uh, the process for that. Um, I guess to wrap up the episode, I have this whole spiel I do at the end. So um, thank you. Already thanked you guys. Thank you, Sam, for co-hosting with me, Sam Acosta. Oh, yeah. Uh, thank you, Katie, our audio editor, for listening through all this and editing it all together. Thank you, Katie. A Hard is work. somewhere on the horizon, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> at some point. At some point. We're long-witted <laughs> speech people, so we appreciate you, Katie. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, thanks to Professor Gilbert. This is actually his mm-hmm. setup that we're using. Uh, so very gracious for him to use us, fuse us, and... Yeah, thank you everyone. I'm gonna stop the recording now. Goodbye. <laughs>